While you're being seated, I want to encourage you to take out your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. On behalf of the Clifton family, I want to thank you for the outpouring of love that you have shown in these past few days. And I know they're listening by live stream, and I want to just, on behalf of our church, express our heartfelt and deepest sympathies. We loved Clint, but we know how deeply you loved him. And uh, we just want you to know that we're with you. And there's not going to be a moment where you walk through this alone. And we want to shower you with God's grace. We know there are difficult days ahead for you and for each of us as well. But uh, we love you guys. We're proud of you. It's been amazing to walk these past two days with you and see the Lord's strength over your life. And uh, we know he's going to be with you. We want to encourage you in this hope. John chapter 11, I'm going to read a lengthy portion of John chapter 11 because most of what I have to say to you today and share with you today comes from these verses and so we're just going to for a moment immerse ourselves in God's word and hear these words beginning in verse 1 about Jesus being the resurrection and the life and it says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake... I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, so how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, "Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me." When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come out." The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of these words that having heard them, we would understand them. And in understanding them, we would believe them. And Lord, that we might find rest in them. In Jesus' name, amen. How to Grieve with Resurrection Hope. That's the title of my message this morning. There's an old kid's song that I knew as the title, Going on a Lion Hunt. It takes kids through the scary task of hunting down a wild beast in the difficult situations they face along the way with crossing a river, walking through a jungle, going through the tall grass. And in each thing they encounter, the options are considered and the conclusion is reached. You can't go over it. 
We can't go around it. I guess I'll have to go through it. You see, there are some moments in life, and this dark valley is one of them, that you can't skip over. You can't go around. And the only way is to go through it. Whether you're feeling the deep grief of this moment or one that's even closer to your own life, you may have experienced this and know it. The only way is to learn to walk through the dark valley with the promise that our good shepherd leads us with his rod and staff comforting us. Clint's sudden and untimely death has been like a shockwave to us that is entirely impossible to comprehend in such a short time as two days. For 21 years, he was my closest of friends, my partner in ministry. For hardly a day, I haven't talked to him in 21 years. Which means there's still a lot of valley to walk and a lot of difficult days ahead. And though there's a lot of valley still to be walked through, I want to assure you that in the same valley, there is also more hope than anticipated in the strength of God to cheer and to guide. I don't know if you've ever watched one of those Weather Channel moments where somebody's reporting from the eye of the hurricane. You know, and it's like, why are they there? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm going to survive this, you know. And the storm is just beating down. And in a sense, maybe that's what I want to say to you today. What we find in the eye of the storm, how we endure it, <laughs> what it's like to hope in God and discover that He's got daily bread for today. Strength for this moment. For each and every one of us, It's just a difficult, difficult thing to comprehend. I've seen this in such a, a vivid way over the past two days as we've gathered at the Clifton House with family and friends to weather the fierce beginnings of the storm in this difficult experience together. I've seen genuine faith in Christ gives you the power to face your grief. Not to flee it, not to hide from it, not to ignore it, but gives you the power to face your grief and know that it is overwhelming. And at the same time, Feel its genuine sorrow while still laying hold of a hope that secures your soul like an anchor. I've told Jennifer and the kids numerous times how proud I am of them the past two days. And if you could have witnessed what I've witnessed these past few days, you would be too. Incredible grace from God, amazing strength in the midst of unimaginable sorrow. Well, there isn't a passage in all of the Bible that has helped me learn to grieve with real hope more than John 11, the one that we took time to read today already this morning. It so incredibly captures what it is to walk with Christ by faith as we come to grips with loss and, and the hope of the resurrection simultaneously. So I really just want to take some time this morning to share with you just a few lessons on grief and hope from John chapter 11. And like always, I've got three, all right? I'm just, I only know to do three points. But there are three incredible lessons that can help you, whether it's now or in the future, 
to learn to grieve with hope in the resurrection. And I just want to share them with you because they've meant so much to me over the years. And they mean so much to me now. And the first one is this. They're not going to be on the screen. But I, the first one is this. We, it, to, to grieve with hope, we learn to wait for a glory yet unknown. Grieving with hope is about learning to wait for a glory that is yet unknown. In the text, as John brings us into the retelling of the events of this story, uh, there's a real purpose uh, about this in here. It helps us to begin looking for what we're supposed to gain from this passage. The passage identifies for us who it is that we are talking about. It's Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with deep love and her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus. And Jesus hears the news about this situation and he says immediately this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. By which we know from reading ahead, it certainly goes through death. <laughs> but the story doesn't end there, nor rest there, but goes on to the resurrection. But on the other end of these pleas for help to come from Jesus that Mary and Martha have issued out, their experience is the loss of Lazarus in the beginning of real deep profound grief. And so there's this tension that John looking back many years later is using this moment to teach us about resurrection hope. There's this tension in the way he even writes it. What they wanted was for Jesus to come and heal Lazarus and avert this dark moment. But what we see is that Jesus didn't do that. And verse 5 has to be written in there so that we get the right thing in mind as we watch the rest of this unfold. And look what it says in verse 5. It is written as an assurance of Jesus' love. Verse 5 just stops in the middle of this story and says, now, in case you get confused in a moment, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now why does he say that? Well, because there's going to be this tension between what is going to happen next as Lazarus dies and Jesus doesn't hurry to rescue him from that moment and his love for them. And they're going to kind of ask the questions we ask when anyone dies in our life. Lord, you're here. You're going to do something about this. We know that you have the power. You see, he loves them. He loves them. He's going to show them his glory. And the time between these two things, between this assurance of love and the glory of the resurrection being revealed, in between that is just massive grief, sorrow, difficult waiting. You see, between the assurance of Jesus' love here in verse 5 and when Lazarus is raised at the end of the passage, there, it's gonna, the, the moments are littered with confusion, difficult waiting, unanswered questions, and profound grief. 
But the only way we really learn anything from this passage as we read through it is if we start at the beginning in verse 5 and we keep remembering all the way through that Jesus loves them and when He shows them His glory as the resurrection and the life, who He is, it will be like wait for can bring to light. Why did Jesus not come sooner? Why didn't Jesus do one of His healing miracles for this man? He loved him. Why wouldn't he do this? Why didn't we carry Lazarus to him like the guys with the stretcher that ripped open the roof? Maybe he could have done something. They had questions. And we have questions, so many questions. Some that I can't even voice. Why now? Why such a wonderful dad? Dear friend. Loving pastor. At such a young age when so many people loved and depended on him. It seems so simple to have fixed. And the only thing I can say is that there is a glory to God's plans and purposes that the, only the resurrection can reveal. And the most important moment of all of our lives was filled with the same questions. When Jesus, the Son of God, who had sacrificed everything to show us the certainty of God's love and had come to to be our salvation and to lead us to know the glory of God, hung on a cross in the place of our sins, dying the death that we deserved, He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer was the same. There is a glory to God's plans and purposes that only the resurrection can bring to life. And so we learn to wait for this unknown glory in moments like this with grieving hearts and hopeful eyes for the glory of God to be revealed. We learn to wait for this unknown glory by remembering the certainty of God's love until that glory is revealed. And so today, let's anchor ourselves to the promise of God's love that we see in Christ. So that's the first way we grieve with hope, is we we wait for that unknown glory to be revealed in the resurrection. The second way is we help one another find faith in the Lord. We help one another find faith in the Lord. The scriptures introduce us to Mary and Martha in another setting where we get to learn their personalities a little. Martha is the bold doer. Mary more likely to sit at Jesus' feet. And we see that even here in the text. Notice how both of them are burdened by the same thing. Verse 21, uh, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's the words that are on her. That's what's on her heart. What's on her mind. Verse 32, Mary, when she finally comes to where Jesus was, and she says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha, with her regular boldness, goes right out to Jesus and presses him on this point, and he doesn't shrink away from it. He doesn't chide her for not trusting him. He comforts her in a way that she can receive, and he brings her back to this resurrection hope, and really, he asks for her trust. And and, you know, you you see the, the reality that people grieve in different ways here. You know, one of the best things we can do for one another and help one another with is give space for each person to experience this grief in in different ways, but be close enough 
to be a comfort. And some of you don't want to think about it, and maybe you're going to think about it in small pieces. Some of you just want to get down in the reality of it and let those emotions wash over you. There's not a right way to do this. We weren't made to grieve death. But we can hope in the Lord, and, and we see that here we can help one another find faith. There with Jesus, she is reminded who he is. You know, when we stay distant in moments like this, the more that we distance ourselves from God rather than come and bring our hearts near to him and before him, the more we forget what he's really like. The more we forget the, the richness of his promise, the comfort of his presence. And, 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 you know, so we see Martha going and drawing near here and Jesus meeting her right there where she's at with, with hope and truth and inviting her actually into a moment of faith that we see so clearly here. There with Jesus, she's reminded who he is. Not, she's not just overwhelmed with the confusion and questions that she uh, has separate from him, but she comes to him and encounters him, and in his presence, she's faced with the understanding that he may have a greater glory and power than her way of working this out is considered. It becomes clearer as the conversation goes that he's not just a healer, but the one who has power over life and death. And Jesus says it clearly in verses 25 and 6 in, in a way that invites her to faith and invites us to faith today. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is our hope right here in its simplest form. And listen, if you're looking for that hope and where the doorway is into that hope today, uh, because this has rocked your world, this is where it's at. It's right here, the simplest promise of the gospel. The promise of Jesus is that for all those who come to him by faith, death cannot steal the life he has promised to give. There is eternal life that is offered to us, not by our effort, our works, or our righteousness, but by believing on him. By believing and trusting what he can give in his time. By faith. He has the power and authority to grant it because he created and possesses it. And listen, he's willing to give this eternal hope to you right now, today, on the spot, upon asking and calling out to him in sincere faith. Because the death of Jesus on the cross also means something in the second part of that verse. It means that he tasted death, the ultimate separation of God from every, for everyone in our place. And he's taken the worst of the sting out of death by facing it himself on the cross. That means there's a type of death we don't have to die because Jesus died it on our behalf. So even in dying, we live. That's the heart of his promise here. He died the part of death that we deserve as a punishment for our sin so that what is death to us now can be a passing through from this life to life everlasting. Which helps us answer the question, where is Pastor Clint? That's, those are the practical questions people ask, right? Where is this man who loved God, trusted him with his life? What is he doing right now? 
Well, the Bible says through his faith in Jesus Christ, he's passed from life to life. Death was a doorway into the everlasting hope that Jesus provides. To be absent from the body, it says in Philippians, is to be present with the Lord. Death has separated him from his body, but not from God. As Christians, we believe that all those who've died in faith enter the presence of the Lord where their souls are comforted and they await the glory of the resurrection when they, like us, will see the full glory of God's plan. They wait with us. His soul is present with the Lord and there's yet a glory to be revealed in the resurrection of the dead when we see Christ and we are changed into his likeness and he, comforted by the Lord in his presence, waits with us as we look to that day when God's full glory will be revealed at the resurrection of the dead. In the meantime, He joins, as Hebrews describes, a great cloud of witnesses who have completed the race and look on with eager expectation for us to run the race that's set before us now, that we would cast off weight that would carry, would, would hold us back in the sin that would hinder us, and we would learn to, in this moment to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him of giving us his eternal life, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so he waits with eager expectation in a cloud of witnesses as we run the race that God has granted to us. And we learn to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, I I know that there's some people in this room this morning who you feel like somewhere as you began journeying towards Christ, you you took a wrong turn. It's been a while since you really drew near to the Lord. You might say, I haven't been walking with the Lord or I've been distant from the Lord. Things just haven't been right with me, me and God. And right now, this moment, it's an opportunity for you. You don't need to run from him. He's not standing there with arms crossed, disappointment, wondering why you haven't drawn near to him. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He comes in moments like this. When we've fallen down on the track, we feel like we don't want to run anymore comes right alongside us and he gets us up and he helps us run to the finish line. And wherever you're at right now, you can do that. You can say to him, you know, I'm not even sure I'm on the track. Come, help me look to you and run this race with endurance. Help me draw near to you. Help me to walk in faithfulness. As the great cloud of witnesses look over and cheer on, I want to finish the race with joy. And the Lord will meet you right there and begin to do that. He'll help carry you on. For some of you, this just needs to be a moment of consecration and devotion in your life that God wants to finish the story that you stopped writing. (laughs) And He's got other plans and purposes and glory to be revealed over your life that you hadn't anticipated. 
And I think Pastor Clint would sit and cheer and celebrate to know that even in his death, a moment like that occurred in your life. As Jesus said to Martha, do you believe this? Do you have this faith in the resurrection and the life that is found only in Jesus? If not, it's the most pressing question of the day for you. And like Clint, no man knows the day or the hour when they will pass through death's door to appear before the Lord. Today is the day for you to make your heart right with God, to turn from your sin, to put your faith in this promise of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and receive the abundant grace of God and forgiveness that he offers and rest in the promise of eternal life. Today is the day. There's no other day. And part of how we learn to grieve with hope is that we help one another find this sort of faith in the Lord in moments like this because even in the, you know, even in the middle of grief, you can, you can do that. Verse 27, Martha responds, yes, Lord, I believe. And then in verse 28, look what it says. It says that she goes and she gets Mary and she brings her to the Lord. Mary heard that Jesus was there and there's something, you know, she's upset and she's angry and she's not going out there to see him. Martha's gone out and she's had this moment with the Lord and she goes back and she gets Mary out of the house. And it says she goes to her privately and she says, the teacher wants to see you. And she brings Mary in her state. She brings her to Jesus. And Jesus begins to just do His work in her and wants her to be a part of this moment that's going to happen. And that is what we want to say to you. Even now, Jesus, the teacher, is here and He's calling for you. We want to help you find faith in this moment to continue to run your race with endurance. For some of you to begin to walk that walk and to really know the security of genuine faith in Jesus Christ. We, if we really want to grieve with hope, we learn to help one another find faith in Christ's promises in moments like this. That's why we gathered this morning. We could have sat in our homes and wept, right? But we gather together because we find faith together. Through the ups and downs and the valleys, we find faith together. We don't find faith on our own. You know, we we live in this individualist society that says you just go get with God and be by yourself. And I've seen more of the glory of God gathered with God's people, trusting in his promises, strengthened by their hope, grieving with them in the depths of their despair. That makes me be able to stand before you today and without a shadow of a doubt say that the real hope in life and death alone, there is nothing in this world but Jesus that matters. And I'll stay here until they throw me out of the building to help you find it today. I saw the most beautiful thing last night. It's Jennifer, who's experienced this loss more deeply than any of us, knelt over a young friend of her son's and comforted him in his grief with the grace of the Lord. Just helping him trust in the Lord. I mean, can you just imagine that picture? <laughs> put, her, put yourself in her shoes. It was just this overwhelming sense of love and help. One of the most beautiful things that I think I've ever seen. And I thought, this is what we do for one another when we have faith in the resurrection, even in our suffering, we can kneel and give comfort. 
So that's two ways to grieve with hope. And one last, we understand that Jesus weeps with us. We see one of the most interesting developments that teaches us powerful things about grief in this text. I think some of you just need the clarity of this. All throughout, Jesus knows what he is about to do. Don't miss that. Jesus knows what he's about to do. In this moment and in our moment. Jesus knows what's ahead. He knows what he's planned. He knows what he's promised. He knows what he's about to do. But then Mary comes to him with her grief and her tenderness and the others with her. And it says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, (laughs) when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You know, it was so interesting. I was standing over here singing at the beginning. For a little while, it was just sort of me and the Lord and I felt okay. (laughs) And I looked over and I saw Tim. (laughs) Thanks, Tim. (laughs) Been on a long journey together with the Cliftons, planting this church. And and that, that broke me. And for many of you, that's probably some of what has made you emotional, seeing other people who are weeping and feeling the heart to care for them. You know, some of us haven't felt that kind of care for someone in a long time. But God awakens this sense of love and power, even in moments like this, and gives us gifts in the middle of grief and despair that can help see us through to other days. When we learn that we're not weeping alone and other people's hearts are there, and, and you see this powerful thing, Jesus sees these weeping people and he's moved. He says he's troubled in his soul and when they invite him to come and see where Lazarus has been laid it just says with this utter simplicity Jesus wept he wept and we can cross past that verse you know we may joke about it's the shortest verse in the Bible no it's Jesus weeping weeping with people who are grieving all while knowing what he's about to do next. Isn't that the strangest thing? Like, why not just say, stop crying! (laughs) I'm going to fix it! Just stop! (laughs) But there's power in the grief. (laughs) Jesus weeps with them, even though he says, you know, he knows what's about to happen. Which tells us something about grief that you need to know. Grief isn't a lack of understanding. As if to say, if you only knew this, you wouldn't be weeping. Grief isn't a lack of faith. If you've been broken and poured out tears in the past days, it's not because you lacked faith. As if to say, if you really trusted this promise Jesus is talking about here, you wouldn't be weeping. Jesus was standing there ready to show his promise and the power of the resurrection over this situation. And in the face of their grief and the reality of death that is their present experience, Jesus weeps. Jesus knows the glory that will be revealed, but for the present moment, he weeps. So what is grief? What is grief? For those who trust the promise of the resurrection, what is it? 
You ever just thought about that? Well, here we learn that grief is the pain of present endurance while we wait his future glory. You see, grief is the pain of present endurance. (laughs) No matter how confident we are in the future promise. Some of you have fled from grief in your life and not acknowledged the pain of present endurance. (laughs) Tried to bury it, tried to numb it, tried to drink it away. When Jesus wants to meet you there in your pain and weep with you. I'm not going to lie. I, you, know, you may be thinking, how can he preach and do all this? Listen, I haven't been composed like this all of the last two days. This morning in my basement as I was getting ready, there just kind of came a point writing this when I was just like, Jesus, just weep with me. Just got down on my face and let it out and sat back down and finished writing. And there's something about knowing his love. (laughs) You see, the reason I bring this up is because some of you need to know today how deeply Jesus loves you in the middle of your grief. And you you need to have the right picture of God while you're grieving, of what he's doing. He's not out to lunch, far away, ignoring your pain, uninterested and uncaring. Jesus weeps with his people. And he weeps with us today. Because he knows we're enduring present pain while we wait for the future glory. I think the way you think about God in these moments of your life matters so deeply. And if you believe what the scripture says here, you know that in Christ, God has shown that he comes to us in this present pain of endurance and is not emotionally absent or stoic. He knows, he sees, he understands He comforts until this glory is revealed and the questions are answered. Clint's life and the outpouring over his death the past few days is a glimpse of the glory that awaits. I've I've been thinking about it. To, To us, he was one of our pastors, our founding pastor. And we've all had an incredible, unique relationship with him to have him lead us and help establish this church where we found hope and encouragement in Christ. And, uh, but as we're going through that, you know, I've received hundreds of text messages from church planters, pastors. Think of all the people who've been a part of Pillar for the last 15 years as we've We thought about the revolving door of seeing people come and go every year. The church plants that were a part of his vision. And the outpouring and reach of his writing and his work. It's been so massive. And in a sense, you know, like, without like overly aggrandizing him. Because he was like just Clint, right? (laughs) We all know that here. There, there was a greater glory that God was getting through his service that touched people's lives that was buried beneath the day by day. Day by day, it looked like a loving conversation with a friend. 
an encouraging conversation with a church planner, an important moment with his family, powerful sermon from this pulpit. But there was a glory yet to be revealed that has been shown in part in this moment as the outpouring has just been incredible. And if you, if you want to explore that, just go online and look on social media at the articles and posts and people sharing it and the things they're saying. And you know, I found incredible comfort and joy in doing that the last couple of days, all of weeping. I mean, Marlon, who's here, he pastors the church, the Way City Church here in town. I don't know what he did with his church today, but he's here because, <laughs> because a few years ago when he was starting his church, uh, you know, we, we said, just come here and we want to pray for you and send people with you. Well, you can take whatever we got. You can rob the bank on the way out. I don't, we don't care. And, uh, you know, he's here today and, and so many other brothers and sisters are praying for us as a church. And there's a glory that's been revealed in part that is just a reminder, not just of Clint's life, but of our lives as we walk in faithfulness, endurance. There's so much of what God is doing and has done and what wants to show us that will yet be revealed on the day when he brings it to light. And we can wait for that. We can hope in that. We can rest in that. And that's a glory that won't be revealed until the resurrection. So the way that we grieve is with an expectant hope for his glory yet unknown. Helping one another find faith in the promise of the Lord. Knowing that God's heart is tender and near to the brokenhearted as we wait. And With these words, let us draw near to the resurrection and the life for comfort and hope. Let's pray.